Hi, everyone. I'm Denise Garth, Chief Strategy Officer at Majesco, and you're listening to the Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast series. Follow along as I interview the best and brightest leaders in the insurance industry and insure tech landscape to bring you the latest in digital transformation, innovation, industry trends, challenges, and opportunities, as well as next-gen technologies. We use our experience to anticipate what's next without losing sight of what's now. Stay tuned to find out your next now. Welcome, everybody, to today's podcast series, Future of Insurance Industry Leaders. And I'm thrilled today to welcome Ross Worth, the head of Client Account Management and Tech Partnerships from CyberCube, um, one of our newest partners um, and really focused in around cyber insurance, something that is the hot topic and the hot product in the market these days. So welcome, Ross. Denise, thanks so much for having me. We're, we're excited to partner and, and great to chat with you today. So um, one of the things I like to do, Ross, is for the audience to have a better understanding of who we're talking to. So could you give a little bit of background about yourself, about CyberCube and our partnership? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as you mentioned, I'm the head of client account management and tech partnerships here at CyberCube. So wear lots of hats, but you know, I think the most relevant for our conversation today is, you know, one, I have a global team that's responsible for for really bringing the best of CyberCube to all of our existing clients. And that's across our products, our services, as well as thought leadership and partnership with them to really expand and and really just enable them to make the best um, decisions around their cyber risk business. Um, So that's kind of one hat. And then the second half, you know, tech partnerships. So that's really, you know, partnering with leading uh, insurance ecosystem players like yourselves at Majesco. So we're thrilled about this new partnership with us recent partnership that we've announced. You know, our partnership with Majesco is is really all about focusing on really enabling our joint clients to have the CyberCube signals, scores, and model output that they're using, and really just have that at their fingertips at the time of decision-making in that Majesco workflow that they're used to working on, right, to really simplify and allow them to have that in one place at that time. Also allows, of course, as you'd imagine, um, automation, where automation makes sense. And I think we'll get into some of those kind of art and science discussions here later today, but really enables a lot of automation for our clients to kind of plug in into those capabilities in general. And then I think, I guess, just a little background about CyberCube broadly. So CyberCube uh, is really focused on just, you know, data and analytics to serve the cyber insurance industry. So we have clients from leading cyber carriers to the leading reinsurers, reinsurance brokers, as well as retail brokers and offer use cases and products to enable all of them as they think about everything from quantifying what their risk looks like to what capital decisions they need to make around cyber to helping educate and even peer benchmark, you know, the insured through that decision and that uh, cyber insurance buying process. So it's, it's a really exciting space that's just growing like crazy as, as you referenced. As both of us have kind of implied here, cyber is a hot topic and it continues to change. And I think that particularly in the last couple of years, uh, more business went digital as people started to work from home. The demand for cyber really has accelerated, but the whole concept of cyber continues to change as well. How does CyberCube help address this demand, continued growing risk out there in the industry? What do you kind of see from a market perspective of how things are changing? Great question. Cyber insurance has actually been the fastest growing line of insurance for the last couple of years. And as you alluded to, actually accelerated, you know, during the pandemic and, and this kind of increased remote work as quite frankly, as you would expect at the end of the day, you know, CyberCube, we all wake up every day thinking about cyber. 
And our analytics really provide those solutions. We have an unrivaled ecosystem of data, right? That that includes proprietary data that we're generating and gathering out there around what are some of the signals and risk indicators, as well as partnerships with the key leading data providers out there. So we work on that and pull those into get in with our you know largest team in the world focused on purely cyber risk quantification, right? So across our data scientists and actuaries to develop those models, right? I, I referenced in the you know a moment ago, you know some of the different use cases. So if I think about some of our clients and how they're using our, our cloud native platform, you know, carriers are out there and using a couple of our platforms to either define and look at their overall portfolio of risk um, and really do catastrophe modeling to say, what does the exposure across our entire portfolio look like? And they're using those outputs to think about the different types of decisions that they'll make based on that, everything from underwriting to as well, kind of reinsurance discussions and how do they best deploy that capital that they have in this space. The, the kind of reference that I make is it's relatively easy for a carrier to look at their book of business and see how much earthquake or hurricane exposure they have, right? Just by looking at a map, it's a little bit more challenging to do that and understand how much exposure they have to an AWS or an Azure or a specific content provider or something of that nature. And that's where the data and the analytic models that, that CyberQ provides really come into play there. So we're seeing a lot of carriers using that. And quite frankly, it's also really helped form the relationships that carriers have with their reinsurers and their reinsurance brokers, where they're both using that same set of data coming out of CyberCube to help kind of, you know, like I said, have similar sets of context, be able to then better agree on the definition on either sides of that relationship in terms of what that risk looks like, what reinsurance decisions they should make, and so on. The other couple of areas that we see carriers looking at this are at that point of insurance, right? Their underwriters are making these decisions on a daily basis, right? Around what's the security posture of these companies that they want to insure? What's the exposure risk? You know, the exposure of the mom and pop flower shop down the street from me is very different than a giant global multinational hotel organization, for instance, right? And that, of course, leads to different underwriting decisions, different risk profiles, different pricing structures, different attachment points, and all those types of things. So the data and signals that we provide are really powering those conversations. And then last, but certainly not least, the, the front line, right? Let's not forget the retail brokers. You know, they're the ones out there educating and, and helping guide their clients through that decision process, right? How much risk do they want to transfer via insurance purchase? How much do they want to kind of self-retain, you know, and those types of things. So CyberCube is helping them as well in terms of quantifying what a bad day or that worst day scenario looks like. We um, also allow them to peer benchmark so they can look at other organizations of similar industry, similar size, similar geography, and understand most of my peers um, are transferring risk at the 90th percentile. And for me, that equates to $200 million worth of coverage. You know, how do I want to line up to that? And just an additional data point that just hasn't been available to them, um, you know, historically is, is really what CyberCube is all about for these folks. So something you said that I think is probably something that not a lot of people think about. I know it's not something that is probably top of mind, but you've talked about a cat event. And when we think about cat events, we think about hurricanes, earthquakes, all of those types of things. What would you define a cat event for cyber? Because I'm not sure that everybody thinks about it in those terms. They think about cyber only as a policy to cover in the event that they get hacked for their business or, you know, whatever it may be, not necessarily from a cat event. That's a, an area that I don't think everybody thinks about. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually a really good question. It is an important distinction, right? The way we define CAT events at CyberCube are a single event that is impacting multiple organizations, right? So quite frankly, we haven't had the big CAT event. We've had several near misses. I'm in Chicago. And so for the first time in the couple decades that I've lived in Chicago, 
last week we had tornado sirens going off in the city of Chicago. I didn't even know we actually had tornado sirens here in the city, right? <laughs> so we had, but there wasn't a tornado, fortunately. So we had this near miss. We've had a couple of those in cyber, right? So if you look at things like NotPetya and you look at things at Log4j, right? Some of those areas were on the verge of becoming cat events. And those are the types of things that we think about. Hey, is there one activity, an on-premises outlook example, kind of towards the beginning of this year, end of last year, we were on the precipice of if this was exploited across multiple organizations across the world, that could quickly become the cat event for cyber. So our models, and, and that's how we model those things, is looking across those and we have over 30 different kind of scenario classes in our catastrophe modeling that looks at those types of things, right? Major cloud outage, right? What if Amazon Web Services goes down for an extended period of time? And, you know, what is the impact to your book of business there? What if that Outlook compromise had impacted folks and that that had provided access into their networks and those types of things, and that had led to significant losses in those types of activities? So that's how we think about CAT within cyber. As you're working with customers, obviously data is crucial, particularly in this digital age of insurance, particularly for cyber. How do insurers have to rethink the kind of data sources that, that they're pulling in to leverage with you guys from an underwriting standpoint and a portfolio perspective and talk about how you're helping them to kind of rethink that data, to kind of innovate, to create that value? Yeah, no, absolutely. And well, this is one we could spend a couple hours talking on just this itself. But, <laughs> you know, I think, you know, as you know, and as folks, you know, that have been in the insurance industry for any period of time know there, there's a bit of a dirty secret here in insurance, right? Insurance, the entire industry is built on data. But the dirty little secret is it's not as optimized as it could and or should be in some cases. And so cyber is a perfect example of that, right? Because this data is inherently digital to begin with, unlike things like a natural catastrophe where, yes, we have information, but we have to digitize it. It's not natively digital. Cyber data is, by definition, natively digital to begin with, and therefore there's just a ton more of it to begin with. So how in the world do you wade through that structure and that, you know, all of that data? Literally, we're at the, CyberCube is at the petabytes of data level that we're processing and going into wow. the model that we're using. Yeah, it's insane how much data is out there, again, based on both the stuff that we're gathering from a proprietary nature ourselves through scanning and those types of technologies, as well as through data partners where we're aggregating and pulling information in from other data sources out there. And so that's really the, the core value, right, that we bring, right? Of course, carriers have amazing um, data scientists and actuaries within their organization. You know, that specific activity is their special sauce, right? And how they apply that and structure that, and then how that leads into their underwriting strategies and decision-making is what makes one carrier different from another carrier, right? Where CyberCube helps is we do look at those petabytes of data. We do the research and consolidate and kind of cleanse and structure that data in a way that it feeds into these standardized models in a way that a carrier or a reinsurer can put in as little as three to four data elements about an insured and get back some quantification around what a bad day looks like in terms of cyber for that organization and get back those two specific scores, thinking about what's the cyber security posture of that organization, as well as what's their exposure to cyber risk in general. So we've really focused on simplifying but also empowering, right? So we're simplifying that so that at that point of decision, the, you know, the underwriter has only a handful of pieces of data to look at and make a decision, but they know from our kind of methodology discussions and, and kind of visibility and transparency into the models that go into that, they know the work and the structure and the activities that have occurred to kind of get to those couple of data points for them to be able to make a decision. 
you know, one example of a project that we're working on right now, you know, our underwriting tool has those two scores that I've referenced, and we have over 50 signals on a per company basis. Um, and so we're partnering with, we of course internally have done research and said, okay, of those 50 some signals looking across the 20 to 25 million companies that we have in our data lake and have information about, we've been able to kind of boil up and say, hey, these are the 10 highest you know, most indicative factors of risk from cyber exposure. And some of those are pre-breach and some of those are post-breach, right? And we'd be able to look at across the entire cyber landscape, here are those kind of 10 signals and those two scores. Now, of course, when we go into a client, all the clients have different books of business. They have different underwriting expectations, criteria where they want to focus. So we tend to partner with our clients up front to say, hey, let's do the study with your specific underwriting guidelines, your specific book of business, your portfolio of risk, and compare and contrast that to the overall market at large data that we have at CyberCube. And sometimes we find that, hey, instead of these 10 signals that we've identified for the market at large, these six of 10 are most relevant to you. And then there's two more that aren't as relevant for the market at large, but they're very relevant for your book of business. So that's some of the process that we do up front. And then once we've done that activity and kind of have set up a cadence to refresh that data and that process, then the frontline underwriters can kind of go forward in their day-to-day business without having to do all that research on an individual company basis. They have the most relevant signals to them, most relevant to their underwriting criteria, most relevant to their book of business. So one of the things too, I think we talked about, Ross, is that not only are those signals and that data and that information, you know, which can be in real time, obviously for you guys, helping in the underwriting process, but also to help uh, deter a cyber event and to provide kind of what I call a value-added service to help minimize or eliminate the potential of a cyber threat. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple of flavors of that, Denise. You know, one is the actual and specific attack vectors in terms of the macro categories of how these cyber events are happening, those haven't really shifted or changed, right? We're seeing RDP, like remote desktop protocol, access to those things is one of the biggest, right? The biggest type of risk that we've seen explode over the last couple of years, ransomware, right? Like those kind of macro areas aren't shifting. What's shifting underneath is the specific attack vector, right? So which specific item is being you know, taken advantage of in order for me to get access to your system in order for me to set up that ransomware criteria. And so as you alluded to, we've been partnering with clients, everyone from the carriers to the brokers to help look at some of those signals and help look at kind of through two different lenses. The one that we focus on primarily is insurability. And that's different from the, what do I need to solve today, right? You know, so we look at insurability in terms of What's the right price? What's the right level of risk for this company? And therefore, I'm going to write a policy as a carrier. I'm going to write a policy that's a year long, right? And by the way, I don't want to just write a one-year policy. I want this to be a client for many years to come. And so how do I structure that based on the posture and the overall cyber hygiene of that insured to be able to structure and get that right risk there? So we're really focused on that, which is a little different than the what are the things I need to do today to fix this specific problem? So first and foremost, we focus on that insurability. But then secondarily, as you referenced, for both carriers as well as brokers, as they're helping prepare their clients for the underwriting process, we do have some capabilities in terms of showing, hey, here's some more active scan data, and here's some of the specific risks that we see open on your network that you should address and close those out, right? That doesn't mean there's not something different in a week or in a month or those activities, but here's some specific things here 
And here's more, not more importantly, but from an aggregate view and an overall insurability view, here's how those specific risks roll up to a type of behavior or security hygiene that you should improve at the aggregate level, right? In terms of securing this type of application or securing this class of uh, workers or folks that have access to your network, et cetera. So we see that as a very important balance we get concerned bluntly when we hear folks talking about, well, here's a report of all the 15 things. You close those things, you're, you're good to go, right? Because that's never true, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So kind of along the same lines of, of the data, another really hot topic and a buzzword in the industry, but gaining a lot of momentum is the use of AI and machine learning. Talk about how it's changing insurance, how it's really important to be able to leverage that, to kind of model some things out, but more importantly, also really to do AI and machine learning models, you really need to have access to enough data, almost like a contributory database that has a lot of data that really gets into kind of a past perspective in, you know, things that have happened and then um, some real-time data and maybe other sources of data. Talk about how you guys are approaching data, AI, machine learning. And also contributory databases, you know, where you're pulling a lot more data in to be able to be shared and used. Yeah. So we're now on to our second topic that we could spend a couple of weeks on. But Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, this, this is another great one, Denise. You know, it certainly is. I think one of the areas, too, and, and you kind of alluded to this as you referenced kind of buzzwords in AI and ML and, and completely agree. These are really important tools that, that are being leveraged across you know, the entire landscape from our team out to folks on the front lines, if you will. But I think it's important to note that these are not a replacement for good old fashioned data science and statistics and analytics behaviors as well, right? These are in conjunction with and building upon those capabilities. Without that foundation, things can go, you know, very wrong, right? I think we've probably seen various flavors of these. The, the one example that pops into my head is you know, the algorithm that was going out there and being used and trained to identify, I think it was being trained to identify washing machines in photos. And so many <laughs> of the photos that they were using, right? So many of the photos they were using were from advertisements. And guess what's oftentimes in an advertisement with a washing machine, a female woman tends to be standing there with the washing machine. And so then some of these photos were then also cross-referenced and used for kind of individual um, identification. And everybody was very excited about this. They had really high match rates until they put a washing machine with a male in the picture and the machine could, the algorithm could no longer identify in the washing machine because it was looking for, you know, what it, we would characterize as this female face. So I say that just to, again, like let's, yes, these are very important and critical capabilities, but we have to have the right foundations in terms of the kind of standard data science and the analytics foundations for these to be useful and to truly be successful for us not to just kind of repeat biases that are already inherently there. That kind of thought, you know, we, we certainly see this a lot. And this kind of ties back to one of my last comments around those high level threat vectors or entry level vectors haven't been changing dramatically. So we don't see a ton of the machine learning and AI helping with those because there's not new threat vectors to identify. What can be helpful and where we do see this being helpful is when we have a bunch of data coming in around a type of threat vector and being able to kind of quote unquote chase and follow and see where, hey, this is being exploited and it's quickly growing and then being able to potentially predict where it would go next based on other similar vectors and those types of things. So those are some of the ways that we've seen it being useful and are starting to plug it in here. I think, you know, as you referenced with these contributory databases, another flavor of that is on the loss side specifically. So we've seen some clients doing this, and I was just having a conversation the other day with a client and a services partner 
where they're working with their clients and doing some AI ML models around, you know, kind of assessing and pre-evaluating how big a claim will be based on some certain characteristics. Now they're focused not necessarily in cyber on that to, to start with, but some really interesting work there where I think we could lean into that and see some of that in cyber. I think as you alluded to, yes, there's claims history. There's not as much claims history for cyber as there is as say personal auto, you know, for instance, right? So there are some interesting starting points of that that are allowing you know, those leading players to, to kind of lean into that space. I think specifically on contributory databases, this is a really interesting challenge for the market, quite frankly. You know, we've had some conversations with with several players in that space, and I think there's some really exciting opportunities there. I think one of the biggest challenges is that, as ever, when sharing information, what's the right information to share? How much am I comfortable sharing? How do I structure that in a way that it helps the industry overall, but doesn't then inherently provide you know, more benefit to one part of the industry or the other? And so I think that's probably the biggest challenge around these types of contributory information is how do we structure that data so that it's beneficial to all, but it's not providing you know, an unfair advantage to one player or another player in that space. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. As the industry continues to evolve and as CyberCube continues to evolve, what do you see as the future of insurance, what you guys are going to be doing kind of to address kind of this evolution in the marketplace and quite frankly, an evolution of risk in the marketplace? Yeah, it's a great question. And actually kind of is part of the reason that I joined CyberCube here a couple of years ago. I spent two decades at a consulting and professional services firm before that, all focusing on the property and casualty space but very much focused on the kind of traditional, very large lines of business, right? The personal line side, home and auto, the commercial line side, property, workers, comp, general liability, very little exposure to cyber. And what really attracted me to CyberCube was, hey, this is the fastest growing line in insurance, you know, and what the heck does that mean for insurance, right? Really do believe this can and will be a shift change for insurance, right? Pick the little kind of language, but I could very much see a world where PNC becomes PNC and C, property and casualty and cyber, right? And cyber becomes this additional kind of third peril that's there and becomes larger than the traditional PNC space and also just becomes literally embedded in the fabric of everything else that that we're doing across PNC, right? What organization is not online? What organization does not have cyber exposure? What individual does not have cyber exposure, right? As an industry and CyberCube, we focus mostly on, you know, on the commercial lines side of the house, right? Because it's a space where these folks clearly understand and it means cyber will impact dollars coming in the door and the ability for my company to operate as a business. I think an area over time that we'll start to see more and more focus on is on the personal line side as well. So I think there will be some carriers out there that start offering some creative products around not a traditional insurance product around, hey, how do I rebuild after a fire? How do I repair my car after an accident? But kind of the protection of my overall lifestyle and a huge part of my lifestyle is my digital space in the, the exposure that I have out there online. How do I protect against that? And that becomes, I think, a combination of both a traditional insurance product where I'm indemnifying and, and kind of making someone whole, as well as, as you alluded to earlier, some of these kind of advanced products around, oh, hey, we know Notice this, here's something you should shift, or hey, even better, we noticed this and we fixed it and we patched it and we took care of this for you in advance before anything bad could happen, type of thing. So I see that as it's really, really exciting. Now, I don't think that's two years away. I think that's several years further out there from that. But that's the type of area that's just really exciting to me as we look at this and we think back to like truly the origins of insurance, which is allowing people to take on risk that they wouldn't be able to take on on an individual basis. 
cyber is the next kind of you know existential crisis to to those capabilities and so how do we as an industry help provide for that and help make that safer yeah you bring up a really good point you made me think of something ross and that is you know, we have been very focused on cyber as it relates to businesses, primarily. Obviously, you know, they're cyber related to people on a personal basis, you know, with their personal the devices in their homes, you know, and I think that's where some innovation is going to really start emerging, as you said. And in fact, I've been a judge on the FMA Accenture Global Innovation Awards the last three years, and I've seen some interesting products kind of come out, not here in the US, but in primarily over in Europe. It really is taking the concept of cyber, but applying it down at the individual level and looking at it from an identity theft perspective, but even into cyberbullying and then providing resources on the back end to help address and deal with that or even eliminate that. But even on the cyberbullying, being able to have some kind of a resource to be able to help the individuals that were cyberbullied. I think the concept of cyber has so many different dimensions that we've just barely uh, touched all of those different dimensions. And I agree with you. I think it's going to be massively huge over the next 10 years. Yeah, 100%. And I think in the short term, the way that we've been thinking about it, the way that we, you know, the Royal We, the industry has been thinking about it as traditional insurance makes a ton of sense. But as you referenced there, those types of examples are things that are not traditional insurance, but I think really do get back to the heart of like, what is the purpose of insurance originally? And it really kind of aligns, especially on that personal individual basis. So I think the winners in this space will be folks that will be able to look at that through a non-traditional lens and kind of develop those offerings and those products that really provide those capabilities for folks that, you know, quite frankly, just haven't, you know, existed as a need before, but, but here they are. And I think that's, it's just a really exciting space to be a part of. Yeah, it is. So I always like to end my podcast with, if you could pick one word to describe the future of insurance, what would it be and why? Yeah, it's a great question, Denise, you know, and I would say dynamic if I had to pick one word, right? And I think if I think back and reflect on the conversation just that we've had here today, the types of change that are out there, you know, if I look at from how an insurer thinks about what a catastrophe is to how an insurer would underwrite a policy to, as we were just talking about kind of the future of this industry, you know, what are the different types of products and services that insurance organizations should be developing um, and creating to serve these challenges? It all comes back to dynamic change. So I think that's just a really kind of one good word to, to really tie things together. Love that word. Well, thanks, Ross, for your time today and, and providing your insights regard to cyber insurance, a really crucial piece of insurance that the entire economy needs, individuals need. We appreciate the time and we very much appreciate the partnership with you guys. I think there's some great things ahead for both of us, for the industry to really help businesses and individuals really address this emerging and growing risk out there in the marketplace around cyber. So thanks so much, Ross. Yeah, thank you, Denise. It's been fantastic. And we are thrilled about the partnership as well. Looking forward to it. That's it for this week's episode of Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast. Subscribe to our market-leading podcast series available wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in the next time.